Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 12 of Positions Net. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics. Joining me again this week, I have Ben Amato, the mechanical engineering student and Legends car driver from the Northeast. Ben, how are you doing this week, man? What a Talladega race we saw this weekend. Another wacky NASCAR finish. First thoughts. Yeah, so um, this Talladega race, it was, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, because obviously, you know, Daytona was a little bit, uh, lackluster in some ways. Um, but yeah, I thought this race was pretty good. Um, kind of saw that third lane start to get going a little bit at one point, uh, which was good to see. Um, it still seemed like it was pretty tough to, for drivers to kind of get their way through the pack. It seemed like you had to have some sort of, um, you know, big moment in the pack to kind of shake things up to really get people um, from the back to the front, but there were still some people who were able to get up there. Um, some, you know, interesting, I guess, chaos on the, that first round of green flag pit stops too, that definitely shook stuff up. So, um, overall, I think it was a, a pretty intriguing race. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good, a pretty good short summary to open us up. We got a lot on the table today from the super speedway package to whether or not to block the run. Uh, to the car safety, to the guys who ran well, and then look eventually getting forward to uh, looking ahead to this Dover race this coming weekend. Um, but I guess we should just start with our winner, Kyle Busch. It seems more and more that in this next-gen car, uh, the question of block or not to block, you don't want to throw the block. And for ages, I've been dealing with this new stat that I'm working on uh, called scramble rates. And that'll get out to you guys eventually once I feel good about it. But it's basically just figuring out where you want to be on the last lap of a super speedway race. And I can tell you now, two straight years in a row at Talladega, the man who crossed the line on the white flag in third has won this race, this time Kyle Busch, uh, by deciding to do nothing with Bubba Wallace um, as he breezed by on the outside. And then when Bubba went to block Blaney, wrecked himself, took Blaney with him, and Kyle Busch wins the race. I don't know. I, I don't see Kyle Busch as an elite plate racer in today's uh, group of guys, but in an era where it seems like maybe a lack of aggression late might be the good decision, or maybe not even a lack of aggression, but more so a, a, a more uh, mindful approach to what you're doing has benefited Kyle Busch this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you kind of watch that replay, um, as I did before we got on the show here, you can kind of see that uh, when Bubba goes to make that second block to cover off Blaney's move going high, he leaves like a fully formed line on the bottom there to try to throw a late block on Blaney, who if you see that, you can see the outside line behind him is just completely uh, like kind of discombobulated, basically. You know, there's not really a lot of support behind Blaney. So even if he goes high, you know, Bubba's probably going to get a push from Kyle Busch they're going to freight train Blaney and it kind of ended up, it would have ended up being between Bubba and, and Kyle down in three and four. Obviously uh, Bubba can't exactly see what the outside line looks like from his vantage point. He probably doesn't even have a great view of what the inside line's doing. He's just thinking, Oh, I got to cover off this move or else he's going to blow by me. Um, and that's maybe something your, your spotter would help you with. I can't, obviously I don't know what Freddie Kraft was saying to him in that exact moment. And I don't know if there's anything Freddie Kraft necessarily could have said that would have stopped that move from, from happening. But I think it's just one of those things. Bubba will watch the replay. 
uh, you know, he'll study the race. He'll learn from this and he'll kind of maybe start to realize the same thing that you're starting to get at, which is maybe it's not worth trying to throw that uh, extremely aggressive late block. You know, maybe it's worth uh, trying to survive that uh, first corner and one and two and, you know, live to race to another corner. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you think about of all the elite super speedway racers we have in the cup series, there's roughly seven of them. Maybe Bubba Wallace definitely goes into that group. Um, but he's probably the most inexperienced of the bunch. And I think that with time, he's only going to get better. I think part of what makes him so good at it is that he doesn't have a problem with being extremely aggressive. Um, but I think going forward, he'll, he'll be able to realize more that man, there's still over two miles to go in that race. You let Blaney go there you fall in line with Kyle Busch, whether or not Blaney clears you, you're going to get either A, the lead, or B, a really good look at it with a run coming from the eight. Um, so prob- probably not the best decision that could have been made there. I think that the finishes of these races with this next-gen car, when everybody gets to scrambling, is is very fun. And given that they don't wreck, which obviously doesn't seem to happen much anymore, um, is very skill oriented as well. The problem is preventing them from wrecking and then getting this to be this way across the whole race. I think the finishes at the front are oftentimes very good. And I have, I have, a, I have an idea on how to fix that, or at least on what the problem is that I'll get into next. But I don't know about you, Ben, but I, I really do believe that if they don't crash and we get a group of guys at the front that can race it out, the best guy is going to win that race because of just watching how the races go. There's a skill to it at the front of the field, even with this next gen car that we had too with the gen six, just maybe a little bit more amplified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know a lot of people like to kind of dump on super speedway racing and say, it doesn't take skill. It's just all luck. Um, And, you know, for me, like my person, like I'm not the biggest fan of super speedway racing. It's not because I don't think there's skill involved. There's obviously skill involved. We see a pretty consistent group of drivers that run up front in these races. That's not by accident. So there's obviously a skill set involved, right? It's just not as obvious as like, you know, throttle control, being able to, you know, slide the car around and stuff like that. It's a different kind of skill set. To me, it's just, you know, when you get that, uh, crash fest at the end um it's just kind of it it throws a little bit more luck into the equation than i would personally like and then also you factor in some of the difficulty moving through the pack uh just because of like the the amount of drag on the cars and uh the weakness of the the draft and in some cases with this car um it takes a little bit or it it increases kind of the amount of luck you need to finish well in these races but to say it's um, not a skill thing would just kind of be naive for, you know, all the people on Twitter who like to say that. So just know it's very, it's very much a skill thing, just like you were saying. Um, but yeah. All right. Let's not waste any more time. I got, I got some thoughts on the plate racing package. Let's start with this. The next gen car is great. I love the next gen car. Don't hit on the next gen car. Thing number two, um, the plate racing doesn't suck, but it could definitely be improved and it could definitely, uh, it could definitely allow for more skill um, involved and guys to be able to make bigger moves. Obviously the two by two thing is not very good. And I think I have a pretty solid explanation based on nothing, but looking at these races and looking at these cars, I don't have any data to back this up. Unfortunately, hopefully I can get my hands on it someday, 
But for now, here's here's my thought process. What's one of the greatest things about this car, Ben? Actually, I'll, I'll give you the answer. It's that the side force is gone, okay? So drivers complain that when this thing gets out in the air, it's just, it's got so much drag on it. Okay, well, hear me out. Maybe it's not that it's got so much drag on it. We talk about all the time at intermediate tracks how this car has improved dirty air because the wake is narrower. It's more condensed. So then when we get to a plate track and that wake is more condensed, hear me out, was previously in the Gen 6 car maybe it easier to get the high line rolling because there was just some pocket of air off of that other line that they could kind of sit in as they slowly work their way to the front and that was assisting them. And now that's kind of gone because that wake has been cleared up and it is now strictly right behind the car and not out to the side at all. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely could be. I think maybe another part of that to kind of go along with what you're saying there um, and Michael McDowell touched on this too, is just the the side draft being less effective. Um, obviously, if you're on the, the high side there, you're taking a much longer way around. If you don't have the ability to slow down the lane next to you by side drafting them, some of the drivers in that lane a little bit, it's going to make it a lot harder for you to make progress. So I think it could be definitely part of what you're saying. If that wake isn't, you know, coming kind of coming out as wide off the end of the car, if it's a lot more narrow, then yeah, maybe those cars in the third lane aren't kind of getting a slight like draft benefit just from being close to those cars. And I think it's also, um, and partly to do with that, the side draft is just a lot less effective with these cars. So it makes it harder for that top lane to slow down the middle lane and get more of an advantage on them. Well, and that would make perfect sense because... It, with we've talked about over and over and over how these cars have way less side force. You can lay on a guy's door and it doesn't really do anything aerodynamically. It just like pinches them off space wise physically on the track. And the side draft then in turn is less good because there's no, there's minimal side force. So with that reduced as well, and then that wake being narrower, it makes perfect sense that the only way to get a lane going is to put as many cars in it as there are in the other lanes. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this over and over how we think that it's perfectly okay for NASCAR to need to have different packages for different track types. I think that that's something that we just need to get used to and kind of accept. Um, mind you, maybe the solution is actually just more horsepower and less downforce across the board and less mechanical grip. But we've talked about that over and over and we'll continue that discussion as the year goes on. But on super speedways, I'm hoping that maybe there's a way that we can create a little bit uh, a wider wake coming off the front of these cars because I think if you can do that, you can reduce the the drag a little bit, reduce that rear spoiler, um, maybe reduce the the effect of the diffuser as well. Um, because I think that cars that are harder to drive um, result in less pushing, result in more difficult racing, and then we see the guys that are really good and have good cars come to the front of the field. And as much as I like chaos, I look forward to seeing a more skill-based super speedway race. And I think that a, a reduction in rear downforce, um, mm -hmm. as well as the, uh, a way to somehow widen the weight coming off specifically the front of the car to make it easier to side draft people by having air bouncing off to the side that you can push onto another car, as well as widen that weight so that you can get a run on the high side with a little bit of help a bit easier 
I think would be a net positive for everybody. Now, how to do that, the best way to do that is beyond me. I, I will not claim to be an engineer, but I think that's a direction that needs to be looked at and I think would is solve the problem. How to do that is beyond me. Yeah, I agree. I don't really have any great solutions off the top of my head. I know I talked about on uh, one of the earlier episodes on this podcast, um, maybe the diffuser kind of reducing the effectiveness of the draft. And I know you just touched on it there, um, trying to do something about making the diffuser maybe a little less effective. Um, maybe we consider taking the diffuser off or the that under tray off altogether. That's a possibility. Um, yeah, so I mean, I like I said, I don't have any exact solutions right now that I think would uh, definitely fix the problem. Um, it makes it hard because I mean, we're not even a hundred percent sure that this is the thing that's hurting the super speedway racing, right? Like this is just uh, kind of assumptions we're making. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to think about, um, and hopefully, uh, some of the NASCAR engineers and maybe some of the team engineers can maybe figure out something to make this racing a little bit more compelling for people. Absolutely. And I think we're headed in that direction. I do think that eventually they'll get it sorted out. Uh, but I think we're going to be dealing with something pretty close to what we got for at least a little while, because, uh, for those of you who listen to Denny Hamlin's podcast, uh, you heard this already for those of you that don't listen to it already, listen to it before <laughs> you listen to us, but while you're, you may as well just stay here and listen to it after this week, but usually you want to give that a lesson first. Uh, Denny was talking about this week about how the drivers had a meeting with NASCAR and they're pretty confident that NASCAR understands the direction that they need to go grip wise, horsepower wise tires that they feel confident that's they're headed in the right direction. Um, but the super speedways are not on their list of things to focus on right now. And I think that's good. I think that's okay. There's six of them a year and they're perfectly acceptable at the moment. Um, they're still fun. There's just room for improvement and I'm sure that we'll get there eventually, but for now, this is what we got. And I think that we're just going to continue to have it be easier to identify the areas we need to improve the more races we get under our belt. What, what is this restrictor plate race number nine with this car i mean it hasn't been very many so yeah something like that changed a lot already since we first started so just just gonna need more races uh ben what else we got on tap this week um yeah so i mean i guess looking at talladega again um i think the fords were pretty fast um i thought i i don't know if you saw this during the race too i thought it was kind of interesting that uh you didn't see a lot of brad kozlowski and chris busher up front early on especially I know, that was a very very odd situation they ran around the back most of the days in fact i noticed a time where brad just completely dipped out of the pack to go get with chris in the back and then they just never made it yeah it was it was interesting and they mentioned on the broadcast that brad was frustrated with how the fords were working together um so yeah i just decided to kind of back out of the pack um, which I, to me, I was not really sure about that strategy just because we'd heard Denny Hamlin talk about how it's, it's not that easy to kind of just move through this pack. But, you know, at the end of the race, uh, I think they both kind of found their way up there, uh, running towards the front at the end of the race. So, you know, once again, they kind of showed their, uh, super speedway prowess, I guess. And I mean, this time went about it a little bit differently. You didn't see them running up front, leading a bunch of laps like they had in some of the previous super speedway races, but when it came down to it, they were able to run up front and kind of be in contention for that win. 
Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I expected Kozlowski to be much more involved in the finish of this race. Uh, the, Busher was third and Kozlowski fifth. They both came away with really good finishes. They just weren't really um, involved in this race for some reason. Uh, a guy that was also not involved that got a good finish was Eric Jones. But the guy I want to talk about is actually his teammate, Noah Gregson. Oh, my goodness. It was Noah Gregson winning Talladega was not on my bingo card this year, but it almost happened. He was fast all day, and I just want to give him some time in the sun because that car was up there throughout the whole race, points in stage one and in stage two, is leading the race with two laps to go, and then gets into it with Ross Chastain. And I don't know what your opinion on that incident is going to be, but man. That's unfortunate for the driver of the 42 car. Uh, for me, I just kind of looked at that as one of these super speedway racing incidents, right? Ross has to get on his bumper and Ross has to push him because that's the only way to get Noah going uh, and to get that whole line going, right? So I don't necessarily think that Ross was doing anything wrong. And especially when you factor in that it's at the end of the race, two to go, whatever it was, um, and Noah starts getting a little squirrely. Ross can't really, he can't lift at that point, right? Like he's got to keep pushing, keep pushing, right? Because if he lifts, that stalls out really that whole line and it kind of takes away everybody's chance to win kind of in that line. So I understand why Ross has to stay in it there. And I don't really blame him for not, you know, trying to lift and let Noah catch his car. And Noah, you know, he kind of, he loses it a little bit. He goes up the track and he's obviously trying to get back in line because he knows if he gets, punted out there like that he's that's the end of his race anyways um so you know i don't necessarily fault him for trying to get back in line but he was just ross was already there and no to me it looked like was kind of turning down on him thinking he could still maybe get back in line and that's kind of what caused him to overcorrect and uh get into the wall and obviously catch larson and priest and that whole incident as well yeah, yeah, I pretty much agree with you right there. I mean, Ross did what Ross had to do. I think he handled that situation pretty much correctly. As for Gregson, um, I think he just never should have left that hole open, you know? I mean, you can't. Mm -hmm. I feel like he kind of tried to block Ross almost as he was trying to save his car, and that just didn't pan out very well. Um, I'll admit it's been a moment since I've seen the replay. I, I haven't watched it back since I was actually watching the race and we probably saw it three, four times in the broadcast, but it just, it seemed like there was a little bit of an experience there as far as how the next gen car works being pushed in traffic in a late race restart in the cup yeah. series. I mean, it, he, he's going to have another chance. He is going to have another chance. I can tell you that after watching him this weekend. That will not be the last time we see Noah Gregson at the front of a Cup Series race, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, who else we got to get to this weekend? Uh, there was a wreck that was triggered around that same time. I want to say it was the restart after, or maybe it was the restart before. I don't remember. Priest and Larson. Oh, mm -hmm. my goodness. That was one of the biggest hits I've seen in a moment. Yeah, so... It, it, it looked bad on the broadcast it looked even worse on the in-car camera wow yeah so i mean that that was in the same uh wreck as gregson it just kind of materialized i guess a little bit later while gregson had already hit the wall um but yeah i mean that in-car shot of priest man it looked like he moved a ton 
Um, and I know a lot of people are going to be quick to say, oh, next gen car, you know, uh, we had the safety issues last year and you know, people are going to be quick to jump on it and say that it's still a piece of crap and you know it's not safe and all that, which that could be true. But independent of that, I think this specific incident to me looks a little bit more like his belts weren't tight enough. That's what it looks like to me. Just the way he moved, it looked like there was way too much space basically kind of between his shoulders and his Hans device um, and the belt. Like, I don't think there was enough tension in the belts to kind of hold him into the seat because I've kind of had that experience before. And so the new belts I got for my car last year were a little bit too big. And I know I had a hit where I, or I didn't even really had a, have a hit, but I could kind of feel how much room I had to move. Like, uh, so even when I just got like kind of a tap uh, in the bumper, I kind of like could feel myself kind of jolt forward a little bit. And I'm like, mm, man, would like it if these belts were a little bit tighter. So to me, that's what it looked like uh, when I watched that in-car shot. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up right now because that is the first time that I've heard that take on the incident. I, I, I hadn't considered that, but that makes a lot of sense. I'd heard DBC talking this week about maybe a Hans device, um, the way that he was wearing that, mm-hmm. but it certainly could have been belts. I'm trying to get it pulled up right now. I, I've worried about the safety of this car before, but I just refuse to believe that NASCAR would put a car on track that could potentially get these guys hurt because that's going to be an absolute disaster for them. So I, I really think that it's probably okay. Uh, the look of, Larson's uh, passenger side after the impact is pretty pretty rough looking mm. um, and he talks in his interview about how to him that's pretty scary because if he's sitting on the other side of the car that I mean, the car is in him mm. um, but looking at the tweets from Bozy this week uh, not going to try and pronounce the man's last name y'all know <laughs> who he is um, I think that the driver's side is supported a little bit better than the passenger side, at least enough that I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think that the cars are safe. Are they as safe as the last car? That's debatable. And that's probably not a good thing that we've failed them in that way, but I don't think it's anything too seriously to worry about. Just something that drivers have to be conscious of more than anything. Yeah. And I think it's good that NASCAR is taking Larson's car back to R and D because I think, to me, that, that passenger side, I'm sure that is designed to give and crumple a bit to kind of absorb some of the, the shock from the impact, right? Because it's, it's just like your basic impulse momentum uh, equation, where if you basically increase the amount of time that that force is acting for, so you let the bars and stuff kind of bend into form more and more before they kind of stop, that makes the overall force um, for that impact lower, right? And so it makes that hit less violent, makes that hit less hard. It just makes it look worse, right? Because things deformed a lot more. And so I think what NASCAR is probably going to look at when they take that car back to R&D is, okay, did we go a little bit too far with, you know, maybe the, the wall thickness of the tubing that they're using there? Did we go a little bit too far and make that a little bit too thin? And it, you know, gave and it crumpled too much, bent more than we wanted to. That's the kind of thing they're going to look at and they're going to probably try to find a, a little bit more of a safer middle ground. Um, you know, maybe try to use some more of the that energy absorbent foam in there instead of having the the actual bars deform as much. 
Um, that's all stuff that they're going to look at it, when they do their crash analysis on that car. Um, NASCAR, I think, deserves some credit. They're generally very on top of the safety of these race cars. They have been really since uh, they brought the COT out, really since uh, the death of Dale Earnhardt. They've been really on top of safety, um, much more so than most other racing series have been. Um, so I think they've kind of earned some faith from like, fans and from drivers and other people in the industry to kind of be like, uh, to give them time to, to figure that out. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Those are, those are kind of where my thoughts stem from as well. Um, so the cars are fine. Everything's great. Um, what else we got this week? Um, gosh, who even finished up at the front of this race? It's difficult because we can't just go talking about median lap ranks because unfortunately super speedway, it's really not that important guys. Um, mm. let's just go over some of the top finishers. Blaney and Busher and Keselowski all score top fives. Those are three elite plate racers. Jones, Byron, your next two guys, more really good plate racers. Um, so there's, what, five guys out of the top ten that are great plate racers? That's worth noting. Um, Gilliland and Yaley finished 10th and 11th, respectively. Impressive stuff from them. Uh, Corey LaJoy crashed out this week. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and I think that that's about everybody of note who sticks out to you from that group. Oh, so for me, it's probably got to be, I'm going to go one farther down. I'm going to go chase Elliot. I think mm. chase Elliot stands out a little bit to me because, you know, people kind of underestimate how difficult it is for um, a race car driver to come back from long-term absence like that. You know, everyone else has been racing every week. You had, he had to sit out what six races maybe. Um, so to miss that much time, uh, to come back, obviously didn't run super well at Martinsville, but got a good finish. And then, uh, at Talladega this weekend ran pretty solidly, got a stage win, ended up 12th. Um, that that's pretty solid for just a second race back. Uh, and obviously he's going to get himself back up to speed more and more as he kind of clicks off more races. And then, you know, obviously uh, we think Chase Elliott is probably going to find a way to win a race before the playoffs and, um, you know, kind of punch his ticket there. Wouldn't it be cool if he didn't, though? That would be interesting. I think that would kind of spark a whole new conversation about um, what team owners let their drivers do outside of the car, right? Because I think if Chase ends up making the playoffs, then it's all okay. You know, the uh the sponsor's not missing out on any extra exposure team's not missing out on any extra money um for making the playoffs granted i mean with the exposure thing it's chase elliott they're going to talk about him regardless but yeah i mean there's still definitely some uh implications to him potentially not making the playoffs and so i think if that were to happen i think there would definitely be some some different opinions about um from from team owners at least about what they're going to let their drivers do kind of in their free time. I mean, I'm sure those conversations are already happening. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's interesting that you bring up Chase Elliott cuz I had no idea that he was even racing this weekend. I had no <laughs> idea that he was in Talladega. Um, yeah. Shocking. I I think I think that really that's that's what's got to happen for for him to stir up some storylines is just miss the playoffs, guys. I I really don't. I, I don't hate Chase Elliott, guys. I, I love the <laughs> man, but I just I think it's really funny to mess with all of you. Um, what else we got to talk about this week? I think that's 
the basis of Talladega, I, I don't know. I, I, there's just not, this wasn't a plate race that I looked at and went, wow, old school plate racing. I really want to talk about it. It's just kind of, it kind of was what it was. It was perfectly acceptable and we're moving on. I guess the only other thing I want to mention is, um, let's get rid of overtime. I'm still, I'm still anti overtime. I want these things to end on their, uh, advertised distances. Yeah, I'm right there with you. All right. Glad that we gave that a mention. Let's move <laughs> the heck on. Um, before we get into our Dover preview, which is going to be a very data heavy track. Um, Denny Hamlin brought up something interesting on his podcast this week. I guess he brought up a lot of interesting things, but this is the one we're going to talk about right now. If you guys haven't noticed yet, we talk about this man constantly. Um, go listen to his podcast, regardless of if you like him, just because it's super interesting. The idea of sticking a bracket in the middle of the NASCAR season for $3 million. So for those of you that haven't heard the idea yet, I'll lay it out for you. For those of you that have, uh, you're going to hear it again. We go 10 weeks in the Cup Series season. We look at the top 32 in points. And we say, okay, for the next five weeks, we're going to match these guys up in head-to-head matchups. So first in points faces 32nd, second faces 31st, third, all the way down. And then head-to-head, whoever finishes better between the two in the next race advances. And then we do that again and again and again until we get down to two guys. And then the winner of the thing gets $3 million just in the middle of the summer. I think this is a great idea. I think this is long overdue. And I think it'd be super fun. It'd provide a lot more storylines. Big prize payout in a time when NASCAR tends to get a little bit dull because we go to some tracks that are kind of ass sometimes. And we then also can get into, we're not competing against a whole lot of sports, so it's a good time to capitalize. And if we have this crazy borderline gimmicky thing we do in the summer for no points, just a million, just a couple million bucks, maybe we can, I don't know, go back to a full season points format. I don't know. Just, just a thought. Ben, what are you thinking about this idea? What, what you just mentioned there was probably the biggest selling point for me on this idea out of anything else I heard. If it means go, potentially, you know, if we could swing that to end up back at a full, full season points format, that's the only thing that could really get me super on board with this. Um, ooh, ooh, okay. All right. I hear you going. So for me, it's just, I don't, I don't hate the idea, right? And I 100% understand where Denny Hamlin's coming from. And he made a lot of good points, right? Talking about, um, you know, bringing some extra attention to some of these, like, kind of mid-season races, um, you know, bring some extra storylines, maybe, uh, you know, give the broadcasters more to cover in the race. Uh, he talked about it from the betting side too, which would definitely draw a lot more attention. I 100% get it, right? And I absolutely do think that it would bring eyes and it would, you know, it would bring attention. It would be an overall good thing. But for me, I just really don't love the idea of it, mostly because I, for, I think we should have a points championship or a focus on a points championship that shouldn't require something like this. Because if you look at F1, right, um, they do a really, really good job with their storylines, right? They do a really, really good job, whether it's some sort of drama between driver and team, whether it's a potential rivalry between drivers, or whether it's just keeping up with the point standings. And they they have points battles that are like really 
unappealing a lot of the times. Like Max Verstappen's going to walk away with this championship. There's not even going to be a competitor, and they're still going to find a way to build storylines and make it interesting. Man, right? I'm gonna cut you off, man, because I don't know. I don't know about that. Formula One has less events than us. They're shorter events, so it's an easier sell there. Mm-hmm. And Formula One is going to just die in American ratings in these next couple weeks when people realize that Max has the championship on lock. I mean, maybe people are going to watch Baku because it's Baku and they're going to hope that it's going to be crazy. It's not. Um, but I, I just, I don't see, like, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I want us to get back to a little bit more of a traditional approach, and I want us to take a lot of stuff from Formula One, but I just don't think that that's an easy sell to be like, we've got to be just as traditional as they are because, I mean, it, it, it's just, we're not them, you know? Like, we've got 38 weekends of racing a year. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not as easy to to sell that storyline. We've got more drivers in the field. I think our storyline sells itself a lot of the time, especially as we get down into the end of the season of that. Our racing is far more competitive than theirs. We're not even in the same game. Like we're going to have a battle for the win almost every week. And just because the competition's that close. And if not the battle for second, third, it's all going to be nutty. Formula one, not the case. We pretty much know who's going to win going into the weekend every week. You definitely can't say that with NASCAR. Now with NASCAR, you might've been able to figure out a pretty good idea with about 40 to go, but even then you don't know, you certainly have no idea going into the weekend. Um, I just don't think it's the same thing. That being said, because our season's so long, I think it's perfectly okay. If we're like, eh, let's go back to the full season points and stick this random thing in the middle that has nothing to do with the points championship. We can keep having our points championship while it's happening, but just award a bunch of money. You know, I I think that's an extra storyline an extra excitement in a part of the season that can sometimes get kind of dull. Yeah, no, I definitely hear what you're saying to me though. So even if, so even say we stick with the, playoff format that we got right now right like how could we make more storylines right now aside from this idea well one way how about we actually talk about the regular season championship battle like we don't i don't hear that talked about much on broadcasts i don't know maybe i'm off here but from what i remember from races i rarely remember that being mentioned right? And that's an important thing, right? The regular season champion gets what 15 playoff points um for to to start the playoffs that's a this is a really big thing in terms of trying to advance all the way to phoenix uh to be in the championship four so why don't we talk about that more right like i think there's more the broadcasters can do to kind of develop some of these storylines what about um you know this is something that's more out of the broadcasters control but um you know what about the days where we had more than just one 20 minute practice session. I know there was other reasons to cut practice, but practice lets you develop storylines for the upcoming race. You know, who's going to be good, who looks fast, who, um, you know, who's good on the long run, who's good in qualifying trim, all this stuff that we used to have. Cause I used to love watching practice back when we had like, you know, two, three practice sessions um, that were each 50 minutes for the weekend. I used to love watching practice cause it was all about, you know, developing storylines for that race in terms of who was going to be good and who was going to have a chance to, you know, really make a, have a big day in the points and all that, if they could, you know, find a way to win this race, you know, qualifying would come around after you, um, some of these teams would practice and qualifying trim and you kind of 
you know, get to see if the person who was fast in practice and qualifying trim can kind of back that up. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff there um, where we used to have no problem building storylines. And I still don't think we should have problems building storylines. But it just seems like nowadays we kind of cut a lot of that out. And so now we're kind of left with bare bones. Right. And so I don't I don't think it needs to be this in-season uh, bracket system thing. Um, you know, like I don't I don't necessarily love the idea too of something that comes in and takes a little bit of attention off of the the championship, which should be the thing that we care about. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I kind of I get where you're coming from on it. I get where Denny's coming from on it. Uh, I wouldn't hate it if they did it, right? Because you know, like you said, it's just it's for money, right? It's not going to drastically alter the the championship battle. Um, but yeah, just to me, I don't know. I don't think it would really. It's really necessary. I think there are better ways to build storylines. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying. I just, as as a leader of Team Chaos, I do think that this would be a very fun thing to do, and I don't think that it harms the uh, the validity of the championship at all. And so, if it's fun and it doesn't hurt what our championship is, I don't see anything to stop us from doing it you know mm. um i don't know the the only thing that de- deters me from wanting to go all in on it is the whole if nascar did this and also kept the playoffs that would kind of be a bit shady um mm-hmm. but i'm sure that they would i'm sure they'd gladly do that that yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all you bring up an interesting point though about the 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 regular season point standings um, I think that, yeah, that is something the broadcast should talk about more. I feel like as we get down towards the end of the regular season, they start to talk about that a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I, I think they definitely could talk about it more than they do earlier in the season. Cause I just went out and pulled up racing reference right now. Bell currently leads those by 12 over Chastain, 20 over Harvick, uh, 36 over Larson, 41 over Kyle Busch, uh, then Reddick, Truex, Blaney, Bowman, Hamlin, and Logano. Oh, Logano's 11th. Hamlin is tied for 10th with Bowman, uh, both minus 61. So uh, a pretty solid group of guys up there. That battle's got to develop itself a little bit more. William Byron is 14th in the points. What is he? Okay, interesting. Anyway. I think um, it's from that penalty from the 60-point Oh, no, you're penalty. right. You're right. Good call. Yeah, you add 60 points back to that, and he's 26 out of the lead. So that makes perfect sense. And you add 60 points to Bowman, and he is one point out of the lead of Bell. So. Mm-hmm. Good call there. I definitely missed that one. Um, is there anything else that we have to discuss before we get into Dover? Or is that kind of it? I think that that might be it. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's roll into Dover. So here's the deal with Dover, guys. Uh, the teams don't focus on this track because it has no playoff representation. It just kind of is here. And we're just going to go run this race. So... We can look back at last year's race, and I think that's worth doing, but that was also early in the season. That's race, what, 11-ish? I think it's in the same slot on the schedule as a year ago. Yep. So we've had a full, we've had two-thirds of a, we, we, we've had a full season of racing since then. I don't think that the teams are in the same place as they were then, and given that we don't think anybody's going to really focus in on this track... I would expect it to just kind of be the guys who are the usual players 
on our regular tracks. So, Ben, you hit us with your first man on your list of favorites this weekend. Yeah, so my first guy is Denny Hamlin. Um, if you look at his median lap rank on non-drafting ovals, he's third this year. Um, first, And he's first in median lap rank on intermediates. And I only bring up his median lap rank on intermediates knowing we've only had really Fontana in Las Vegas. Just because he mentioned himself on his podcast that Dover drives a lot like an intermediate. So there are definitely some parallels you can draw um, between specifically Las Vegas, I would say, probably more so than Fontana, just because of how rough Fontana is. Um, but yeah, specifically, you could focus in more on the non-drafting oval median lap rank from last year, or from this year. Um, and then going back to that race last year, he was really fast, even though he's only ranked 11th in median lap rank. Um, they were really fast early on in the race, won the first stage, and then had a wheel fall off during a pit stop. So got sent to the back um, and had been working his way up until he got into a wreck with Cody Ware. Um, so that 11 car had a lot of speed at Dover last year. Um, it's a track that Denny's been pretty good at the last handful of years. They've been fast on the non-drafting ovals this year. So everything to me is kind of lining up for another solid performance out of that 11 team it's just going to be a matter of again can they execute on pit road can denny avoid the speeding penalties yeah that's a that's a good shout for sure so uh, denny was definitely on my list and i'm not giving the guy who's first on my list right now he's on my list though he's never ever ever on my list because i give this guy such a hard time all the time but i wanted oh, to make i already sure know it that i got to him first because I wanted to have the, the joy of, of, of showing everybody that I can be unbiased towards this man. I got nothing against him. Guys, if you're going to pick Alex Bowman, now's the time to do it. And here's why. So a year ago in this race, he found himself in the fifth fastest car per median lap rank. We look at uh, median lap ranks for this year on intermediate tracks alone, obviously just the small sample size. He ranks, he's got an average of 5.5 that ranks him fifth in the cup series. We go over to his non-drafting ovals. It's a little bit lower at 7.6, but it still ranks him fifth in the cup series. So he's, oh, oh, I got that wrong. On intermediate tracks, he's third in the cup series, fifth uh, for, for non-drafting ovals. We go over to best lap rank, a stat that I want to look at a little bit more this weekend so that I can narrow in on just those uh, two races that we had on uh, intermediate tracks. Bowman is tied at the top on intermediate tracks for best lap rank with the eight of Kyle Busch. So Alex Bowman's got some speed. He's got a good history at this track, despite the fact that he did kind of fall backwards into his one win here. He didn't really earn it. it was, he, that was Kyle Larson's race, but Alex Bowman's in for a good run this weekend. Uh, and I, I can say that very confidently. Yeah, I 100% agree. I also had Bowman on my list, and so that's why I knew the minute um, you started saying um, this is a guy you normally don't pick, uh, that's right there, and I was like, oh, yep, that's got to be Bowman because I, I had, had him to go on my early. List I had to make sure that I got to have the, the joy of being able to pick him for once. It's a good thing you did say him early, too, because he definitely would have been the next person that I was going to oh say. Oh, my gosh, you got him way too high. Okay, <laughs> I should have saved him. Ben, who you got next on your list, man? So for me, the next person I'm going to look at is Ross Chastain. Oh. Um, yeah, Ross Good Chastain. 
uh, in the race last year, first in median lap rank. Um, he's sixth this year in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals, which not necessarily elite, but still very solid. Um, and second in median lap rank on intermediates, um, which again, obviously only having the two, um, but it's still worth noting. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, I think this is going to be a good race for Ross Chastain for sure. Um, I think Trackhouse, I feel like is almost, uh, maybe like a half step behind kind of where they were last year. You know, last year at this point in the season, they looked like the team, right? Like they had been outperforming Hendrick, uh, pretty much week in week out at this point. Um, that obviously hasn't been the case this year. Hendrick's definitely been better overall, especially with the five and the 24, um, excuse me um and honestly i think jgr has probably been a little bit better at least in terms of raw speed uh when it comes to at least with denny hamlin right so Trackhouse to me seems like they're a little bit like a maybe a half step back but i think this is a good weekend for them to turn it around with ross chastain yeah i i, I mean we expected ross to kind of take a step backwards this year i think um with or, or not Ross specifically, but we, we didn't think Trackhouse could possibly get off to as hot of a start as they did a year ago. We were just kind of hopeful that they could stabilize where they were at the end of last season. And I think they've done that. Um, Ross was definitely on my list because historically he's been very good at Dover anyway. Um, and intermediate tracks have been his, as far as speed goes, strong suit over the past season. Um, had the fastest car per median lap rank a year ago. Here, I don't think that means a ton, but it's worth noting at least. Um, and again, as you mentioned, uh, a car that's been pretty solid overall, um, throughout the early portion of this season, one that was definitely on my list. Um, I think that this week it's, it's easy to stick to the Chevys. And so I'm kind of just going to continue to do exactly that. Um, on the intermediate tracks, we, the fastest car, uh, per median lap was Hamlin. You just picked Ross who was second, uh, the 48 was in third. The next guy down the list is the fifth place car, Kyle Busch in that eight. Um, and th that's a pretty easy for pick for me to make. Fifth fastest on the intermediate tracks uh, per median lap. We go over to uh, all non-drafting ovals. He drops down to 12th. I'm not too concerned about it um, because we've seen two really struggling finishes or two really struggling median laps. He had the 17th and 25th fastest cars at Richmond and Martinsville, respectively. So those are dragging his average through the mud. And quite honestly, those races have nothing to do uh, with Dover, in my opinion. And then he's tied at the top of best lap rank on the intermediate tracks so far this year with Alex Bowman. So Kyle Busch, uh, historically very solid at Dover as well through his entire career. Uh, one of the few guys that could hang with Jimmy Johnson there over the years. So definitely somebody that's going to be in for a shout at the win this weekend. Yeah, for sure. I really like that Kyle Busch pick. Uh, he was really fast last year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, so I, I imagine that he'll be pretty good this year too, especially if RCR can give him a pretty solid car. Um, I think the next person that I'm going to talk about, um, there's an obvious Chevy that I could pick here that I think I'm going to sidestep for now because I want to talk about Martin Truex Jr. So Good. Martin. Good. Martin, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Martin Truex Jr. Last year was third in median lap rank here at Dover. Uh, he had a really solid run. Kind of his finish kind of got ruined with the little incident with Chastain on the last lap. Um, but he was really fast here last year for sure. 
he's only ninth in non-drafting oval median lap rank for 2023, but I'm uh, not super concerned about that because Dover has always been a really, really strong track for, for Martin Truex Jr., and I don't see any reason why that trend wouldn't continue for him. Um, he's also sixth in median lap rank on intermediates, which, again, not elite, but still pretty solid. So I think this, again, is another uh, potential breakout here uh, for Martin Truex Jr. in terms of um, really stepping onto the scene this year. I think it's worth noting that Truex is, sure, he ranks sixth in intermediate track median lap rank. But the difference between him and the leader, Denny Hamlin, is all of two points um, in the average column. So that's just not a very big gap. And Mm -hmm. as much as I don't put a whole lot of faith in Truex anymore, I think that he's in the latter stages of his career. And I think that he's, he's still got some wins in his, he's still got some wins in his hand. I think that he can get, um, but he's not the guy that went out and won those champion, won that championship with furniture row. Um, and I, I don't think anybody's going to try and say otherwise, certainly losing Cole Pern has hurt him a lot more than we mm. had originally anticipated as well. But that being said, Truex is definitely going to be in with a chance this weekend. No doubt in my mind, you keep stealing the people that I want to talk about right before I get to talk about them. And it's really unfortunate because now I'm sitting here struggling with who to go to. Um, and I'm not going to Chase Elliott, so I'm going to Kyle Larson. Larson's currently right below Truex on the intermediate track median lap rank, uh, finds himself in seventh. Uh, so kind of a part of that, that main group of faster guys. We go over to best lap rank, and on the intermediate tracks, he's down in ninth, so not quite as good, but that's a stat that we can kind of uh, use with a grain of salt. Um, same goes for non-drafting ovals. He's second overall to Kevin Harvick, just 0.4 points worth of average behind him. So a very fast car this season. Obviously, everybody's seen that a lot. Um, Had the fastest car at Las Vegas earlier in the year. Second fastest car at Richmond. Um, He's had four podium-worthy cars this season, and I don't see any reason that he couldn't have another one this weekend. So Larson definitely going to be up there. Definitely should have won that race a couple years ago. Uh, The Hendrick finished one, two, three, and four in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Larson was actually the obvious Chevy that I was referencing when I said I wasn't going to pick him. Um, I wasn't necessarily talking about Chase Elliott just because I know he's kind of working back from that leg injury, but still think if Chase Elliott's going to, you know, if he's going to have that first race where he's a real threat uh, for a win, it's going to be this weekend probably. Um, There's obviously a really good track for him. One last year was really fast, second in median lap rank. Um, so yeah, don't, I won't quite count Chase Elliott out, but I'm definitely not uh, going to put him in kind of that uh, favorite for the win category. Ben, I think it's a pretty wide open favorite for the win category. I still got a couple guys to go. I don't know about you, but if you got any more, keep going. Uh, I got a couple sleepers, but I think I have run through my list of favorites. Okay, well, I want to give at least two more, I think. Um, the first one is Kevin Harvick because Kevin Mm. Harvick still finds himself atop the leaderboard for median lap rank on non-drafting ovals this season. He also finds himself on just intermediate tracks in fourth position, just 1.5 behind Denny Hamlin, uh, who's leading that category over in the best lap rank, not quite as relevant. So we're just going to kind of ignore that. And we go back to this race a year ago. 
and I don't really see his name up near the top, but that ninth, yeah, that's okay. Not mm. really too concerned about it. That's just a long time ago. Kevin Harvick's been on a smooth roll so far to start this season. This is a track that is very driver dependent, um, a track that requires a lot of patience, I think. Um, if the tire wears, I think that this is a race that Kevin Harvick could excel in this weekend. The man's got a win coming for sure. That car is way too fast, um, to not win at least soon. So I got to give him, got to get, got to at least give him a good long look this weekend. May not be one of the outright favorites, but he definitely deserves to be talked about up in that main group. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, shame on me for missing Kevin Harvick. Um, and I just want to make sure the people listening heard that correctly. Um, that's right. Kevin Harvick, number one in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals. I don't know how many people exactly would have expected that. I know the first time I heard it, I didn't exactly expect it either, but I, I get it now. Um, so yeah, for, for everyone listening, you didn't, you didn't mishear that. Kevin Harvick is first in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals. In a Stuart Haas racing Ford, mind you. Uh, the yep. next Ford is Keselowski in 10th, and the next Haas car is Almarola in 14th. Kevin Harvick is on a roll this season. I got one more favorite, and then we're going to move into some underdogs. I got three underdogs, I think, that are worth talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the last guy in the favorites list is Christopher Bell, just because Christopher, Christopher Bell is an incredible talent. Uh, seventh fastest for median lap rank on non-drafting ovals this year. On intermediate tracks, he finds himself down a little bit uh, in 11th. Um, eighth fastest car at Auto Club, 14th fastest at Las Vegas. Those are pretty mediocre numbers, but I expect him to regress back towards his teammates uh, who've been a little bit quicker. On the best lap rank side, not, not outstanding. But we go to this race a year ago. He has the eighth fastest car. Fairly solid. Uh, Bell, just a talented race car driver that you can never really count out in these uh, bigger oval races. Um, so I think that he deserves a shout as well. It's going to be a weekend of a lot of Toyota and Chevy, Hendrick versus Gibbs. Maybe we get a track house car. Maybe we get a Kevin Harvick up there. And I think that's kind of the, kind of the field. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a pretty good uh, summary of who to watch this weekend. All right. Oh, and Kyle Busch. We also mentioned him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's move into some underdogs now, Ben. Who you got on your first list of guys that maybe some people aren't expecting to grab a, a solid top 10 run this weekend? So this first one, I think, is going to be one that maybe is going to slip some people's mind. But my first underdog pick is Ryan Priest. And Ooh. a big reason for this is because if you remember this race last year, he was driving that number 15 car for Rick Ware Racing and was running up in the top oh. 20 for the majority no of the race. way. Ben Amato, you are some kind of wizard. I don't know how I let this slip through. That 15 car was the 17th fastest car in this race a year ago per medium yep. lap. Oh yep. my gosh. Yeah, no, I what was I was actually so I was re-watching uh parts of the race last year, you know, some of the highlights and stuff like that. Cause I was trying to get a feel for um just kind of like the what this race would look like overall, like in terms of multiple grooves or uh, you know, how many cautions uh, we might be able to expect, which was a ton last year. But um, and so, yeah, and then I saw down on the on the ticker, I see Ryan Priest down there running 18th in a, that number 15 car. And I'm like, ooh, it's like he's going to be in much better equipment this year coming to that race. I better watch out for him. He's at least got to be an underdog. So, yeah, that's that's my big motivation for picking Ryan Priest. 
Um, obviously, this season hasn't really gotten off to the greatest of starts for him. Um, hasn't necessarily been off of his teammates in terms of speed. You know, he, you mentioned, um, I believe, Chase Briscoe or Eric Almarola, 14th in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals this year. You know, Briscoe is 16th and Priest is 19th. So definitely not, not too, too far off his other teammates. Obviously, Harvick way above the rest of them. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a, another good weekend for Priest, similar to how Martinsville was, to really kind of show what he's got. Ryan Priest had a, had a qualifying run last year that placed him 13th on the grid in a Rick Ware racing car at this track. He also found himself with an average running position of 20th and the 17th fastest car per median lap rank in a Rick Ware racing car. That, my friends, is absolutely remarkable. That's a great find there. Uh, yeah, Ryan Priest, he could be on for a really, really good run this weekend that I definitely did not spot. Um, wow. Wow. I don't think I can follow that worth it. That, that's the one. Um, I'll try my best, though. Ben? I'm not taking the guy I want to pick yet. I'm saving him for later. You better not take him from me. I think you know who I want. I so, do. Yeah, of course you do. You better not steal him. I'm going to lose my marbles. The guy that I want to talk about first, though, is kind of a kind of an easy grab. It's Brad Keselowski, um, 14th fastest in this race a year ago. So it's some decent speed from RFK when they were just kind of getting off the ground a year ago. Um, when we go over to median lap rank on the uh, intermediate tracks, He's 12th. That's a solid effort. Um, and then on non-drafting ovals across the board. Wait, what did I just say? Did I say intermediate tracks or non-drafting ovals first? I thought you said non-draft or uh, intermediates. Okay, good, good. Let me clarify that. 12th in median lap rank on intermediates, 10th on non-drafting ovals. So I would have preferred that split to be the other direction, but it's still pretty solid. A 10th-ish place car for Keselowski overall across the whole season. 14th fastest car in this race a year ago. We looked to this race last year as far as actual finishing position is what I'm trying to get back to. Um, and he found himself in 20th. I don't know how that happened, but his teammate Chris Busher was 8th. I think you're either you're going to get to him or I'm going to get to him. Chris Busher is also on the list. Um, but Brad Keselowski could be on for a good run as well this weekend. A shorter track. I know it technically races like an intermediate, but we tend to see RFK perform better at those shorter tracks. Um, so I'm kind of playing into that. Maybe I shouldn't be, but Keselowski could, ha could have a good run this weekend. Yeah, I like that Brad Keselowski pick. Um, I kind of I had thought of it as well when I was kind of going back through some of those replays and saw him kind of running solidly in the top 15 for a while and, you know, kind of remembering how bad of a start they had gotten off to and how much better a place they're in now. Um, so I definitely like that Brad Kozlowski pick. Um, and I will skip over the person I know you want to talk about. And I will talk about Chris Buescher. Um, Chris Buescher last year sat on the pole for this race, led some laps, um, hung around top five for a little bit, uh, ultimately kind of fell out of the top five, but was pretty fast here last year. Um, he was, I believe, 12th in best lap rank for, um, for non-drafting ovals for this year. Um, so that's solid speed, nothing elite, but again, solid, uh, seventh in median lap rank for this race last year. Um, so Chris Buescher, again, not necessarily a threat for the win, 
but definitely a solid underdog pick to maybe contend for a top five. But be a threat for the win this week, honestly. Yeah, no, I could definitely see him being a threat for the win. I just don't know if I would, um, you know, maybe go into the race expecting that. Yeah, I agree. No, I I think you're spot on there. I wouldn't toss him into that group of favorites, but man, seventh fastest in this race a year ago, that's a really solid effort from RFK that while I don't want to put too much stock in that race a year ago, I think it's definitely worth noting. Um, And I just don't think that his speed so far this year is reflective of what it should be. I think that there's some some factors affecting that as far as where he's run um, mm-hmm. in, in the pack. I think that sometimes they've just missed the setup. And I think there's more potential there than what they're showing. I'm just not buying what the numbers are. And maybe that's, maybe that's Im- immature and experience on my part, but I, I think there's more there than what we've seen. And I think this could be a good bounce back weekend for that 17 car. I guess they had a good, good finish last week, but you know what I mean? As far as on the yeah. non-drafting holes. Um, so this means that I get to talk about the man that I've been looking forward to talking about for so long, because this man is incredibly talented. One could go as far to say that he's a hall of fame talent. His name is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And he had the seventh or the sixth fastest car per median lap rank here a year ago. You see, JTG is a team that just kind of makes no sense a lot of the time. Um, but I think that they might be onto something in that I think that those geniuses, I have nothing to base this off of other than how they ran last year, just looking at what their finishes were, what their speed was. I think that they put a lot of chips on the table for that Dover race because I think that they are smart enough to know that this is a series where specialization is important, that you just need to find a way to win at all costs. And I think that they... threw something in on it's either a super speedway win or Dover. And he almost got this race a year ago. He finished second to, I believe it was Chase Elliott, right? Yeah. Finished second to Chase Elliott. Had a great run going. Sixth fastest car. We look at the median lap rank this year. He doesn't look like he's driving for a single car team. He's got solid numbers. Like, I think this could be the weekend for Stenhouse. I'm struggling to find his numbers right now. Ooh. Well, those were not what I was looking for. Oh, no. Well, um, hang on a second. I have messed up my stats page right now, Ben. I got to do some correcting. Okay, we got it fixed. So 22nd on the intermediate tracks. That's not great. Or no, no. 22nd on non-drafting ovals. On the intermediate tracks, it's a little bit better. 16th. That's pretty solid. You think about 16th on intermediate tracks. That's pretty good. We think Dover is going to be a step forward because I think JTG is specializing towards this track intentionally. We also look at best lap rank on on just the intermediate tracks. He ranks 12th. That's an average of 14, so about 10 off the leaders. I think this could be a good weekend for Stenhouse. Not even just JTG, though, specializes on this track. Like He's historically good here. Ran second here a year ago. Then we got two bad races, but we go back to early 2020. He's got a 10th place finish here. Uh, in what was his first season at JTG. Uh, his last race here for uh, for Roush was a 16th place finish. There's a, a, a 30th in there, but then we get a 9th and a 15th. Those are solid runs for Stenhouse. I think he's got another one in the cards this weekend. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's clearly you just kind of detailed that this has been historically a pretty solid track for Ricky. Um, obviously, the speed JTG had last year, 
at this race. And then you factor in the fact that they've just been running better across the board this year. Um, obviously, you have to also consider that this was an early season race last year. A lot of the big teams hadn't really figured out the next gen like they have this year. But with that being said, even though that that's happened, the 47 has still found a way to be really competitive in pretty much every race this year. Um, and so the combination of you know them going back to a track that they've had good speed at, a track that Ricky's been good at, um, I don't see any reason why this team wouldn't be in for a definite top 10 this week. I don't see people stressing it as much as I'd like them to, so I'm going to continue to stress it here. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is having an incredible season this year, um, and we totally predicted it right here as soon as he won that Daytona 500 on positions net, guys. We've, we've been covering this thing from the beginning. Stenhouse is currently 13th in points. That is remarkable for that single-car team. We've talked about before, sure, they're not exactly underfunded, but I don't think that they have the information that everybody's got, per se. And Stenhouse has historically just kind of not been able to break through, and he is right now. And I think it's something that everybody needs to be watching more closely and giving more credit to that team and, and his way specifically. Yeah, I uh, 100% agree. I mean, people definitely aren't really talking a lot about uh, how well that team's running. I mean, you see them sitting right now, 13th in he's points. He's crashing. He's making, good, he's, he's making mistakes still, but they are good mistakes. They're small mistakes. And he's just letting the car come to him every single week. Yep. And, and that's the thing. We touched on this last week. Um, you know, I know we don't love to look at top 10s as like a barometer for performance necessarily. Uh, but when you consider what Ricky Stenhouse's issues in the past have been, which was crashing and not finishing races and pushing too hard with cars that, um, you know, weren't as fast as he was kind of trying to make them go. And, you know, that causing him to wreck. Those are the things that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has struggled with for the majority of his career. And so now you see almost like the, he had this light bulb moment uh, in the offseason or maybe just winning Daytona kind of took some of that pressure off. Now you see him getting the finishes, even if that car is not really necessarily running. You know, you see he has two top fives. That car is not maybe running top five as often as what he's been able to finish there. But just because of the fact that he's been able to kind of keep that car out of trouble, um, it kind of ends up having these good finishes kind of, I don't want to say fall into his lap, but he ends up getting these good finishes by just taking what that car can give and getting the best result he can out of it in that given day, which is exactly what you have to do when you race for a smaller team like JTG. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. Uh, you know what one of my least favorite stats is? What's that? Average finish. Yeah. No, but I, I agree. think it's worth looking at in the case of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Because the man's problem is an inability to get finishes over the years. And I'm looking at it right now, and Racing Reference is kind of a struggling site right now, so it's kind of hard. I'm going to have to actually literally count this out, but um, Stenhouse currently ranks ninth in the Cup Series for average finish. Tied for eighth with Denny Hamlin, of all people. That's a feet and a half if I've ever heard of one. Yeah, and like I said, or like you had just said, right? We don't love the average finish stat, right? It doesn't tell the full story some of the times. But again, like I had kind of just gone over, when you think about what Ricky Stenhouse had struggled with throughout his whole career, that's what makes that all the more impressive. 
this makes it seem like that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is kind of evolving a bit as a driver and kind of becoming a little bit more of a well-rounded driver, right? Because he's always been a great passer. Right? You can, if the motorsports analytics data is still floating around somewhere, you could check that back to, you know, even back to his first couple years in the Cup Series. He was always a solid long-run passer uh, based on where that car's average running position was, right? And, um, you know, he's a, I'd say maybe a so-so restarter. I don't, I don't remember quite off the top oh, of my head. Oh, don't you worry, Ben. He is a good restarter. He's a good maybe restarter. The numbers. Uh, I don't know about historically, but as far as last year's concerned, a very good restarter, seventh in positions net, gaining 122 spots. He was part of that club of guys that gained over 100 spots last year. Um, I'm currently looking over to retention rate as well. He finds himself sixth in retention rate. Great restarter Ricky Stenhouse was last year. All right, well, then look at that. So you got a guy who has been a great long-run passer for most of his career. You got a guy who is also, at least last year, a great restarter, right? And his one struggle was crashing and not getting the finishes that that car should be getting. Now he's putting that together, right? Now you have a driver who's starting to become that complete driver, uh, you know, that I think a lot of people maybe thought he was going to be when he first got up into the cup series coming off those two nationwide series championships. Right. And so this is important. This is important because what ride is open next year? That four car. Right. And what agency does Ricky Stenhouse Jr. work with? Would it per perhaps be the one owned by Kevin Harvick? Yes, it would be. Right. And so they, that uh, management company, you know, they kind of have that portfolio of sponsors like Sunny D and some of the other companies that you see on Ricky Stenhouse's car. So you got a driver who's starting to develop, right? M maybe a little later in his career, but is starting to develop into that complete all around driver. Uh, he has some sponsorship backing potentially with the KHI management group. And you got an open seat in the four car. You probably want someone with a little bit of experience there, right? Because you already have a bunch of young drivers who are there right now, or at least inexperienced drivers uh, outside of Eric Almarola, who, by the way, we don't know what's happening with him next year. So maybe you want an experienced driver in the seat of the four car. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he could be that guy that they want. Stenhouse has about six, seven solid years of racing left in him. And if he inherits that four car, oh my goodness, I may have just made the call of a century following the Daytona 500 because that man is a man that could hop in that four car, I think, and win two races a year. And uh, two races a year in six seasons, that's 12 wins. Add it to the three he's already got in a Daytona 500. Two Xfinity championships. That sounds like a Hall of Fame career if I've ever heard one. Almost as uh, good as Dale Jr.'s career. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm going to send people into an uproar if I ever claim that Ricky Stenhouse is the superior junior. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Please. Oh, my gosh. I need Stenhouse in the four car now. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. That would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Unironically, I would actually love to see that. Right. You know, you talk about a, a guy who got booted from Roush and who people kind of, you know, some people won't name names, Darian Gilliam, labeled a bust, right? I so um, disagree. Right? Roush was on an, a massive downturn at that point. You had Carl Edwards got out of there, Matt Kenseth got out of there, Greg Biffle basically retired just to get out of there. I mean, 
that team was not on the up and up. He was not coming into a stable, you know, top tier team that we all kind of known Roush to be. You know, maybe they were still there for like his first season as a rookie, but you don't expect a rookie to go out and set the world on fire and cup. Right. So, I mean, he was really, just an innocent bystander who turned into collateral damage. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they had that one year. I think what really did him in was that one year that um, Ryan Newman was there, was I think 2019. And Ryan Newman put together a really solid season. I think, did he make the, I think he made the playoffs that year, right? He did. He did. I talk about this all the time uh, w- with my friends about Ryan Newman and his, that incredible season. That That is a model of what, mid-pack nascar drivers should try to be um Mm -hmm. it's a brick of consistency that doesn't let anybody pass um and it's what i think keselowski was trying to turn himself into when he went to roush but that's beside the point chris busher is ryan newman 2.0 again discussions for another day (laughs) keep going but yeah so i mean that's real. i think that season is maybe kind of what did him in at roush so to speak um but yeah, I mean, he never really got the shot in top tier equipment that I think everybody kind of assumed that he had just because he was at Roush. And so to kind of see him actually get that opportunity, remember this guy we're talking about here, he's a back to back nationwide series champion. So, I mean, you, you don't get that Chase by Elliott accident. Do that. Right. Chase Elliott got beat by Chris Buescher. I mean, like, you don't he do did. that. You don't do that by accident when back to back. Nationwide or Xfinity, whatever series championships, right? You don't do that without talent. You know, we can have the conversation about what the, you know, the quality of that field was like compared to others. Fine, That's we can what have I'm that conversation at right now. Um, he bested Elliot Sadler by forty-five points, Justin Allgaier by one hundred and seventeen, and Eric Almarola by one hundred and twenty-seven. Um, I, I mean, could it have been a more competitive field, sure. But then we go to that twenty twelve season. He bests Elliott Sadler again by 23 points, Austin Dillon by 24, Sam Hornish, the fourth place finisher in that series. I mean, it's not, it's not a field of slumps, that's for sure. And people are going to overlook Elliott Sadler. Let's not. That man was fast. That's what I'm saying. Let's not ignore the fact that Elliott Sadler was a, is a multiple time Cup Series race winner and made the inaugural chase in 2004 with Evernham. Right, not exactly like the top tier team, or was it? No, it wasn't Everham. Sorry, it was um, Robert Yates racing yep. the thirty-eight. So either way, right? Yates was not considered like a top tier team. They were good for sure, but they were not considered on the level of like Hendrick or Roush at the time. Um, so Elliot Sadler was no slouch. You know what I mean? Um, so for an inexperienced young Ricky Senhouse Jr. to two years in a row go basically head-to-head with Elliot Sadler and beat him two years in a row, that says something, I think. I agree. I, I think of Elliot Sadler as the previous uh, group of drivers, Justin Allgaier, in the Xfinity Series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Allgaier's now become that that new statesman. And I think that if Josh Berry can't find himself a cup ride here soon, he's going to become that next guy as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we just went on a nice long rant there about Ricky Stenhouse, and it's well-deserved, and it won't be the last one you guys hear. So uh, if you like Ricky Stenhouse, and, or you're at least interested by the story, stay here because we're going to keep doing it all season long. Ben, you got anything else to touch on on Dover? Because that does it for underdogs on my end. Yeah, I would just say, I guess for Dover overall as a race, one thing I'm actually not sure about, are they running the 
the new short track package there? Yeah. So about that, that's going to be a no. Oof. That hurts yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So because that, I think that package was actually would have been perfect for Dover because I think the biggest issue at Dover typically is dirty air, right? Because you're going so fast through the corners and, you know, generally, especially at the beginning of the race, most guys are running around the bottom. Um, so that dirty air gets real, real bad and it makes it real tough to pass. Um, so I think that low downforce package would have helped that a little bit, definitely more so than it helped Martinsville. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think just with this race in general, um, last year we had a ton of cautions. I wouldn't expect that this year. Um, I think teams have a much better handle on this car. Uh, last year was a lot of single car spins, a lot of guys getting out of shape and somebody behind them gets into them. Um, and I think that was a product of teams, you know, early in the season, not really um, understanding how to completely dial in the next gen car yet. Uh, now that we have that, uh, don't expect the same chaos, I don't think. Um, I know last year, tires did mean something. Um, there was a handful of drivers, I know, in stage two that tried to stay out. Um and gain some track position and they all kind of ended up falling back. A few of them think Reddick had tire issues. Um, so tires could matter here. Um, I'm not sure if they're bringing the same compound or not, but it's definitely a potential for, for tires to mean something. Yeah, I sure hope so. I, I'm concerned that they'll bring a very conservative tire just because of the high loads, but mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully they bring something that wears out. Hopefully it's hot and slick, and hopefully in the future we can get some downforce peeled off these suckers. But for now, we're still rolling with what we got a year ago. Um, I think that does it for me. Ben, where can the people find you? So like always, everybody can find me at BenAmato24A on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, once again, just we'll be talking about racing stuff. Racing season's getting real close. Test session didn't go great. Had some mechanical issues with the car. Gonna have to clean the carburetors and replace the spark plugs, but you know, we're we're good. We'll be okay. We got another test session May twelfth. Um, my track had a repave, so I really need to get out there and figure out what all the, what that's all about and how that's going to change. We're going to be going. I think one of the guys I raced with was telling me he was going probably five tenths of a second per lap faster. So it's going to be interesting for Ooh. sure. That's cooking. So. Mm -hmm. Here, here's my question for you before we go, because I'm, I'm refusing to get this show wrapped up. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we all hate repaves in the Cup Series. What's the deal with repaves when you're just driving a strictly mechanical grip Legends car? Um, well, I haven't felt it for myself because I haven't gotten out there yet. But um, just for what it's going to do to the racing, I don't love it because the way they did the repave was really weird. Um, they basically just paved like the inside line and then like a lane and a half up from that, um, through the both the corners. So we typically had been able to run three wide pretty well. And you'd have kind of like a third lane that could be reasonably competitive if you had a good car. Um, I don't, we're not going to have that anymore just cause the third lane is, you know, it, it didn't get repaved basically. Um, so there's going to be no way for you to really be competitive. It's going to, it's literally just going to kind of be like a 
you know, a double wide race and then someone might get booted out of the grip strip that we basically have there now and it'll be uh, curtains for them. Um, so yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of it. There's also going to be a little weird transition because, you know, when you get out of the corner onto the straightaway, um, you're going to have really old asphalt on the straightaway and our straightaway isn't really a straightaway, quote unquote. It's kind of like how the front stretch at Richmond is. So you'd be getting sideways coming off the corner before, you know, and kind of sideways all the way down the straightaway. And I feel like that's only going to be worse because you're going to be carrying so much more speed through the corners. Um, so that part will be interesting. It could be kind of fun. But um, in terms of the racing, I don't love it, but we'll have to see. Very interesting stuff there. Anyway, uh, if you guys managed to find this podcast out, follow on Twitter. Congratulations. You are really something special. I don't know how you managed to do it. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. As I've already said, go listen to Denny's podcast because it's better than ours. Um, and then go follow the Twitter. It's AR underscore analytics. That's auto racing analytics on Twitter. There you'll also find the link to the website, autoracinganalytics.com, which is where you can find all the data um, that Ben and I talk about here on the podcast every week. Uh, more and more stuff's going to keep getting put on that website as the season goes on, as we get some of the data worked out. Um, you'll get your 2023 averages here pretty soon. Um, but for now, just going to keep posting. Uh, weekly race recaps and then the 2022 data is on there as well. Um, as for the Twitter, um, you'll find just some brief uh, rundowns of the the previous year's race before we go into a, a race the next season, um, as well as the classic graphic of where everybody would have finished had the final 50 laps gone green for fourth quarter media lap rank that everybody seems to love so much and also misinterpret nearly every single time. Ben, final thoughts. Um, my final thought, I have to give another shout out to Kevin Harvick because this man is what, 47 years old, 47, no shot. There's no, I, I believe he's 46 or 47. Um, he is 47. Wow. Yeah. So for Kevin Harvick, 47 years old, uh, in his final season of the cup series. And we talked about it before being first in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals, um, especially when you look at his teammates and none of them are even in the top 10. Um, it's just really, really impressive to see what he's done. You know, I think most drivers we had seen in kind of their final season um, had really just kind of been kind of meh, you know what I mean? Um, you know, admittedly, you know, not quite as committed or as involved. You know, Jeff Gordon admitted that during his final season. Dale Jr. admitted that. Um, you know, so for Kevin Harvick to obviously still have an incredible amount of dedication to this um, and to still be performing at such a high level in his final season at 47 years old is just um, it's really, really impressive. And I don't know that people are really going to, um, I guess, kind of understand that or really kind of realize that uh in the moment so that's why i just wanted to to hit on it right now just to say if for everybody listening if you haven't thought about how incredible it is what kevin harvick's doing uh start thinking about it because it's it's pretty crazy and it's not something that we're gonna see very often man i sure hope he leaves that seat in good hands and leaves it really well really 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 fast car i hope he leaves behind a good team um, that he can just go over and hand over to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That's that's what I'm hoping for. Um, yeah, my final thought is this, guys. I have been thinking for a, for a while now about 
how on earth we're going to continue this podcast after the season is over. But every single week, I get proven wrong about all the things that we need to talk about because we've already talked about how we want to do an episode about the schedule and then another one about packages and then another one about dirt racing. And then, I mean, obviously, Ricky Stenhouse is going to get his own series because he's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He's a NASCAR Hall of Famer, for goodness sakes. And the more I'm looking at these stats, we need to take some time to talk about Elliot Sadler someday because that's a man that I think deserves some time uh, just to kind of explain his career because I feel like he's very overlooked. And I didn't even realize just how much he's overlooked until I'm actually sitting here looking at his stats um, that we had to look at when talking about Stenhouse's two Xfinity Series championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, being I, said, that well, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I think it would definitely be pretty interesting to kind of uh, look a little bit about Elliot Sadler's career. He was like a random uh, favorite driver for me as a kid uh, when I like first started watching. I really liked him in that. Um, two car in the Xfinity series at RCR and he was randomly in NASCAR the game 2011 because they had some Xfinity series drivers and so I would use this car a lot so um yeah definitely be cool to take a look at Elliot Sadler's career yeah we'll give Elliot Sadler probably an episode at the end of the year given that we remember it so uh somebody somebody shoot me a message on Twitter why and when I inevitably forget that and uh we'll get that done thank you all so much for listening this has been episode 12 of Positions Net We'll see you all next week.